Good morning. Today we celebrate the 13th Sunday of Ordinary Time, the opening prayer. O God, who the grace of adoption shows us to be children of light, grant, we pray, that we may not be wrapped in the darkness of error, but always be seen to stand in the bright light of truth. Your Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Old Testament, first book of Kings, 19th chapter, 16th verse, and the 19th and 21st verse. The Lord said to Elijah, You shall anoint Elisha, son of Sophat of Abel-Meholah, as prophet to succeed you. Elijah set out and came upon Elisha, son of Sophat. As he was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, he was following the twelfth. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak over him. Elisha left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and I will follow you. Elijah answered, Go back. Have I done anything to you? Elisha left him and taking the yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. He used the plowing equipment for fuel to boil their flesh and gave it to his people to eat. Then Elisha left and followed Elijah as his attendant. The Word of the Lord. Responsorial Psalms, taken from Psalm 16. You are my inheritance, O Lord. Keep me, O Lord, for you in you I take refuge. I say, Lord, my Lord, are you. O Lord, my allotted portion and my cup. You it is who hold fast my lot. You are my inheritance, O Lord. I bless the Lord who counsels me. Even in the night my heart exhorts me. I set the Lord ever before me. With him at my right hand I shall not be disturbed. You are my inheritance, O Lord. Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body too abides in confidence because you will not abandon my soul to the netherworld, nor will you suffer your faithful one to undergo corruption. You are my inheritance, O Lord. You show me the path to life, fullness of joys in your presence, the delight at your right hand forever. You are my inheritance, O Lord. A reading from the New Testament, St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, 5th chapter, 1st verse, and the 13th and the 18th verse. Brothers and sisters, for freedom Christ set us free, so stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called for freedom, brothers and sisters, but do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, rather serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you go on biting and devouring one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. I say then, live by the Spirit, and you will certainly not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the flesh has desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you may not do what you want. But if you are guided by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The word of the Lord. Alivers, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You have the words of everlasting life.
Alleluia. The Gospel for this Sunday is taken from St. Luke, 9th chapter, 51st to the 62nd verse. When the days for Jesus being taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his reception there, but they would not welcome him because the destination of his journey was Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want me to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they journeyed to another village. As they were proceeding on their journey, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus answered him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. And to another he said, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But he answered him, Let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to my family at home. To him, Jesus said, No one who sets a hand to the plow and looks to what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord.
We begin this period called Ordinary Time with a focus on one of the evangelists, and this year it's Luke. Last year it was Mark, the year before Matthew. And so I want to say a few words about his gospel as we proceed in looking at his reflections on the life and times of Jesus, the responses of the disciples, the responses of the people that were healed and transformed by him. And one of the things unique about Luke is he is the longest gospel and the one with the most detail. And you may remember this, that Luke is also the author of the Acts of the Apostles. So he not only recorded the period of time when Jesus was gathering together a group of human beings, his disciples, and hoping that they would understand and, and, and be able to, to follow in his footsteps, which they were ultimately. But their growth and change was mostly at the end, <laughs> when the Holy Spirit descended upon them and they put all the pieces together. Most of the time you see the disciples not figuring out who Jesus is. But the beauty of Luke's gospel also is that he has Jesus in a disposition at the end of his ministry where he is realizing that he has to return to Jerusalem. So for 10 chapters, all the stories of Jesus' miracles and teachings with his disciples takes place in the last part of his life. Now, how long that was? Months? Weeks? I'm not sure. But one thing that does, in a way, make sense to me is that when Jesus died and rose, obviously the disciples knew the story was important and they had to record it. They had to hold on to it. They had to teach it and tell people who Jesus was. And it would seem that the things they remembered most were the things that happened most recently. So just remember, we're looking at a Jesus in the Gospel of Luke who realizes his life, his goal, what he desired, is not necessarily what he hoped for. At least that's my understanding and many's understanding that Jesus entered into his public ministry with a longing to transform the temple. He, he longed to break into their illusions and their, their addiction to the law and power over people and, and to open their eyes to see that this is not what God intended the temple to be. And he and he was teaching and preaching for years. In fact, he started his teaching at 12. And he ended it at 33. But the ending is so important. Because the ending of the ministry of Jesus, if there was anything in his humanity, and I can't imagine Jesus being anything other than the most human of human beings, filled with not sin... But all the struggles, all the doubts, all the wondering, all the hopes, all the dreams, all that, that if he wasn't, if he didn't have that, he wouldn't be like us. And he was like us perfectly. We were like him. And so he had to struggle with things. And I would think that the biggest struggle he had was his goal of preaching and teaching and people understanding him and, and, and seeing the beauty of who he was and who God intended them to be, it just didn't happen during his life. The disciples didn't get it. You see it in the gospel today. You know, the, James and John, this is toward the end of Jesus' ministry, which talked of peace and nonviolence. And the minute there's a problem with people not accepting Jesus, they want to they 
rain down fire on them. <laughs> you know, and Jesus says, no, 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 stop it. Or in this gospel, it's not in this passage, but in this chapter, rather, of Luke, you see Jesus revealing the fact that he has to die and he has to surrender to something horrific in order to become who God wants him to be and to teach what God wants him to teach. And and Peter says, God forbid you should ever do that. And, and Jesus calls him Satan. So we have a very, very interesting context in which to listen and pay attention to this figure, Jesus, whose goal, his sole goal, is to share with people the inheritance that is theirs. And what is that inheritance? It's pretty clearly stated in the responsorial psalm, you are my inheritance. You show me a path to life fullness of joy in your presence, delight at your hand forever. God's desire, his longing through the ministry of his presence in the human Jesus, who was also God, is saying, I want to take you on a path that leads you to something that is filled with joy and delights. (laughs) Life is supposed to be good, you know, really is. So why is it we have seemingly so much pain and so much suffering? Well, I think it's because that's the way it's supposed to be, because we live on this world for a time, and that time is called our path. And what God longs for is in that path, just our time here. Sometimes it's 20 years, 5 years, 50 years. I'm up to 82 years Whatever that time is here on this earth, we are engaged in something. And when our way of engaging in it has a deep impact on the rest of humanity, that's a very hard thing to grasp. But as you respond to grace and change and grow, so does all those, in a sense, participate in that evolution of consciousness. And when we fail, it holds back people. And so the challenge is for us to enter into this path and to know what it's like. So let's look at two major themes we find throughout the Old and New Testament. One of the beauties of going back to these stories over and over again, you see patterns that you never saw before. And one of the biggest patterns you'll see from the beginning of time and God's speaking to us as one who longs to save us is that you are here in this world to learn something, and that's how to move from slavery to freedom, slavery to freedom. That's our goal. And what is slavery best represented by a law and a rule that has power over you, forcing you to do things out of an obligation, usually of if you don't, you'll be punished, and also some kind of carrot that says if you do what you're told to do, not what you want to do, not what you feel you should do, but if you'll do what someone else tells you to do, you'll be rewarded. And that's the greatest temptation on this path. Because the challenge is not to surrender to a power greater than yourself that is of the world, of the flesh, but to surrender to an inner voice, who you really are, who God intends you to be. So along with this journey from slavery to freedom, there is the calling you see in the gospel of or throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, of God entering into someone's life and calling them to be a witness for him 
to others of how to do this journey from slavery to freedom. And so you see in the first reading, Elijah asking Elisha, come, I want you to leave the world you know to a world you don't know. Does that sound familiar? God called Abraham, leave what you know, go to what you don't know. Called Moses, leave who you are and take on a new job. And in every case, he gives them an anointing, empowers them to do it. So if God is giving empowerment to people who are being called to a new life, a new way of seeing things, that obviously means it's difficult, it's really hard, and there's a pull to the old ways if you're invited to new ways. I want to tell you a story that may seem strange at first, but listen to it carefully. One of my first memories as a child was in Chicago, and I think I was three years old or something. I moved there when I was very young. I think I was a year old. We lived in, I think, Park Ridge. And I was, there was an apartment complex we lived in, and it was big. And I remember being outside, and the thing about this building that was unique to me because, well, everything's unique to a three-year-old. But there was a door and then another door. There was a space between outside and inside, and you weren't, if you went in that space, you were not outside anymore, but you weren't inside. And I remember, it's so weird, I remember looking around saying, well, wait a minute, I came inside, but I'm not inside. Where am I? I'm in this space. It's not, old, it's not out and it's not in. And then I realized that there's something, there's a name for that space. It's called liminality. It's a liminal space, a threshold. And it means that you're not where you were, and you're not yet where you'll be. And it's a time of un, being unsettled, uneasy, uncomfortable. And you're feeling a pull in two directions, and you don't know which way to go. Well, that is a perfect example to me of what is happening in these readings when you hear Jesus, first God in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament. Listen, I'm asking you to come on a journey. I want you to forget about the old stuff and come with me. Well, I, I, I want to go back to a little bit more of the old. No, you let go of the old. Well, there's relationships and ways I've been with people. In the, no, let that go. Come and come with me on this journey. But you won't yet know what that journey is going to involve. And I'll promise you that what you're letting go of that's difficult to let go of is not worth hanging on to if you knew what you were being called to. That's the Christian message. That's the God message, Old Testament, New Testament. You come into this new place. Well, what is it? What's it like? Well, all we're given in this set of readings is two images. One is flesh and one is spirit. What's flesh? Flesh is a word used in Scripture to describe the world as it is without the infusion of divinity. It is a world that's self-centered, that tends to be violent, that tends to be self-oriented to the point of self-destruction. It's filled with shame. It's filled with anger. It's filled with fear. It's the world that we all experience in some way. If you don't experience that, I don't know where you grew up or how you grew up, but you come into this world, and in some way, that world of the flesh is there. If it's not there, then you can't do the work you're here to do. 
you have to have an experience with that. That's why people look back on their histories and their family of origin or their culture and look at things that they received or maybe abuse that they incurred, and, and they find this is so unfair, and why did all this negativity happen to me? No, no. You have to take that activity as this, the stuff of your journey from one way of being in the world, the flesh, to being in the world in terms of spirit. So flesh is the negative side of humanity. It devours, in the words of Paul, stop devouring and biting each other, stop consuming each other. That's the world of the flesh. But there's only one thing that can describe the world of the spirit. It's love. And if you're talking about love, you're talking about freedom because all Love is, is an experience of radical freedom. And there is anything about being torn apart by negativity and having that negativity move you to acts of, of negativity because you experienced it, because you're ashamed of yourself, and somehow when you have a history of, of something in you that's not acceptable, you feel shame in one of the ways in which you Shame works in you. It, it continually bites and eats away at your self-image and your value and your worth. And that's the world of the flesh. So how do you make this transition? Well, what you do is what Jesus is in that very place between the innocence and enthusiasm of Jesus as a boy teaching the, the temple people and all that. Think of that as as when he was free and, and able to do what he was doing, and then he finds himself in, the, in, in this place where the world is crushing in on him. And he's tempted, he must have been tempted as a human being, not to go through this process of having everything that he longed for taken away from him. And he had to have feelings of resentment, but he wouldn't do that because he knew that the Spirit is not about that, but about love and about life. So the challenge for you and for me is to say, yes, I will go on this journey. And the, the, the thing you want to be careful of is watch out for the situations, the, the organizations, the institutions that somehow feed that negativity of the flesh and tell you that they have power over you and they can demand things from you that you really don't really want to do, but you have to do them if you're going to be acceptable, or if you don't do them, you'll be condemned and judged and shamed. That world is what you have to know is part of your experience on this earth, and you live with an awareness of it as you move away from it. But the frightening thing is it's comfortable because it's familiar and it's clear, <laughs> black and white, and the other is a little more etheric and not easy. So we start this journey with Jesus on his liminal walk between these two worlds, and we listen and we learn that the outcast, the one who's been hurt, the one who's been damaged, is the one Jesus is most interested in, and that's the part of all of us that's been damaged by the law and slavery or whatever it is, and he wants us into the place of freedom. So be with him and me as we work this journey to get to the place of spirit. It's where God dwells. And God wants a world that is beautiful because he created a beautiful world for you. He wants a world filled with love for other people because he told us that's the most important thing that I'm giving you is the power to love another person.
they are more important than you. And the last, the Spirit infuses energy in you and a capacity to accomplish this great task, moving in the right direction and finding the goal of the path. Closing prayer. Father, our inheritance is a life of fullness, joy, love, freedom. Help us to feel when we are robbed of those gifts that there is something that you are calling us to expose and to work against. And they were going to be the ones who can be not only freed from the shame and guilt of the world of the flesh, but can lead others out of the darkness of that world into your everlasting light. We ask this through Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to remind you that the program you just listened to is available on our website, pastorreflectionsinstitute.com, as well as on our podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Finding God in Ourselves. It's free to listen to anywhere, anytime. And the music in our program was composed and produced by Ryan Harner for this show. This ministry also needs your support, so make a one-time or recurring tax-deductible donation on our website. Thank you so much for your listenership and your continued support. Without it, this program would not be possible.